Hey, this is Clark from PaleoHacks.com. Happy Thursday, and welcome back to the PaleoHacks podcast. Today, we got Diana Rogers coming on from Sustainable Dish. Diana and I talk about lots of stuff, including, but not limited to, how to raise your own chickens. What is the cost, the process, who should not raise them, If you're in a city, what is that process like? Because you can raise chickens in your backyard. Um, Also get into livestock, foraging, how to find your own food, grow your own food, be more sustainable, going green. Simple things we can all do to help out with the environment or take more ownership of our, the way we consume food. Also get into why eating weeds that grow in your sidewalk may save you money on supplements. That blew me away. And uh, lastly, how to not kill the romance if you decide to go on a forging for mushrooms date in Seattle. Give you a little story of uh, my failed love life there. (laughs) Anyway, paleohacks.com, the place to be for our blogs, articles, and hundreds of recipes with step-by-step photos, of uh, if you don't know what to cook for dinner tonight, head over there, find something, and cook a four-course meal all off our recipes. Totally gluten-free, paleo, whatever freeze you need, we got them. Clark at ClarkDanger.com if you want to get a hold of me. Snapchat at PaleoHacks or at ClarkDangerous, that's O-U-S. Uh, we're over there because we're hip. We're getting with the trends. And that's it. I'm ready for you to hear the show Let's go hear what Diana Rogers has to say. It's been said that if Martha Stewart went paleo, you'd get something like my next guest. She is not only a real food nutritionist, she authored the Homegrown Paleo Cookbook, here to talk about growing your own food, raising livestock, sustainable DIYs for your home, even if you live in a big city. Diana Rogers, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a fun one. I uh, was before the call looking through your Instagram. And first off, it's really cool. You walk the talk, you know, you talk about sustainable living and you're on a farm. And I was looking through and I saw this one of all the chickens running around and your, uh, your dog was letting you know one of the chickens was out. That was pretty. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a couple border collies that love to invent things to do for themselves. If I don't give them a job. Police in the farm. Yeah. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, it's cool. How'd you get into the farm life? Was that something you grew up doing? No, actually not at all. Um, I, I met my husband in college and I was a fine arts major and he was an English major. Um, I had like my summer job was working on farms, like, but I didn't see it as potential future career. Um, but I always loved being outside. I loved just, you know, having the sun on my skin and being covered in dirt. I I loved it working hard all day. And, um, when we had a little apartment together, um, out in Western mass, we went to UMass. Um, I thought it would be fun to have a garden. And so that's kind of how it all started. Um, we got a book on, um, vermiculture. So like how worms can, you know, uh, compost your food for you. So we started a little worm composting, uh, situation in our kitchen and, um, that kind of sparked everything. So it was really my husband who, um, 
you know, basically decided to do this for a career. Uh, we both had corporate jobs. We moved out to the West Coast during the dot-com uh, boom in the late 90s and mid-90s. And um, he was miserable, like totally, totally miserable working indoors, like making money for the man. He couldn't he couldn't do it. Um, and so he read a couple of books that really inspired him. Um, one was Wendell Berry's book, The Unsigned settling of America, um, which is awesome. And, uh, we would leave the city on the weekends and go out and look at different farms. And he was like, I think I want to be a farmer, (laughs) which is kind of radical. Like there was no, you know, CSA movement really happening at the time. Um, you know, certainly to his parents, it was pretty crazy talk because they thought, you know, they'd sent this kid to school and why would he want to become a farmer? Um, Seems like the opposite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, So we moved back to Massachusetts after just about two years living in Portland. And um, he went back to school, back to UMass Amherst, um, this time to study soil science in their master's program. Um, but again, there was no like sustainability major at any school or anything like that. Um, and so this whole time I was working in Boston in marketing, um, marketing and advertising. So it was really him sort of going through this midlife crisis when he was like in his mid twenties. Um, and then, um, pretty quickly he got a job running a farm and we, and housing was included. So we moved there. Um, this was North of Boston in a town called Hamilton. And for 10 years we were there and, uh, it was awesome. We ran a huge CSA. I ended up joining in, um, doing actually the marketing for the farm, running the store. Um, we had a kitchen that I ran. Um, so we made like soups and stews and sandwiches, stuff like that from stuff from the farm. Um, I handled all the CSA stuff. And so I like pretty much organized everything and sold everything and he grew everything. So that was really, really awesome. And then about four years ago, we moved to our current farm, um, Clark Farm, which is in Carlisle, Massachusetts. So it's just west of Boston. And so currently we have a full CSA. Um, It's about 150 members. And uh, let's see, we raise several hundred chickens for eggs and we do pasture-based chickens. So we move them around the farm. Uh, We do goats for meat. We do uh, sheep for meat. And we have pigs running through the woods, and those are for meat as well. Wow. Yeah, so and then the- we run, like, an education program. We have a store and all that kind of stuff. So that's separate. He runs the farm, and I I promote and write about it and everything, and then I do nutrition stuff. That's super cool. That's a, that's a cool story about, you know, listening to what you're really passionate about, and even though it might be in the opposite field that you thought you would be in, just going for it. Yeah, I have so much admiration that he figured it all out at such a young age. Yeah. He had the guts to do it, right? You know, it's hard now because, um, so we're now in our early 40s and we have kids and our friends have kids and mortgages and it's a lot harder to make a transition uh, to, you know, your passion when you have all these responsibilities and you've got these monthly payments that you have to make. Sure. Um, so it's a lot easier when you're, when you're younger, cause then your, your expectations are a little bit different and you're, you're a little more free to make big life changes yeah. before all the responsibilities of real life set in. You look too young to have like major responsibilities. 25. So okay. getting there, getting there. That's yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah. I got life to figure out, man. Yeah. I'm, yeah. In the twenties. Um, 
what's chicken shit bingo, Diana? <laughs> so, um, you know, we do a lot of parties at the farm. Uh, we do a lot of potlucks. We do a lot of games. We've got all ages coming here, um, after work. And, um, so chicken shit bingo is something that I illustrate in, um, the homegrown paleo cookbook. And it's basically, uh, you know, there's a lot of different versions of this. Some people do it in a field with cows. So that's possible too, but basically you grid out, uh, squares and then everyone sort of bets on where the chicken's going to shit. <laughs> and you just let the chickens run wild. And then you just let the chicken run around, and you know the first person that uh, that has their number. Or in in, the, in the case of the one I did for the book, it was letters. Okay. So I just uh, I just did letters all over the board, and then you know the kids love it. Um, it's not really very cruel to the chicken. Yeah. Uh, how long, how long does it fun. take? Do they are they unpredictable? It's unpredictable. Oh, you don't so it know. could take days. Some some. Well, games. no, not day. A chicken would no. <laughs> You got to commit. Chicken shit a lot. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't have cows, but I've heard of people kind of gritting out a pasture and then, you know, just watching the cows kind of wander around and poop. Farm yeah. life. Farm yeah. life is different. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing like you're doing, but I lived on a farm in Hawaii for, you know, three months. So in between college semesters, a very small, sustainable, uh, had a couple cows, it was in Hawaii, so they didn't have too too much livestock, but uh, it was a lot of work. It's it's hot, it's hard, it's uh, demanding, yeah. especially if you're trying to do it more natural and sustainable, and you don't have all the big, I don't know what equipment you got going, yeah. but it's it's definitely a commitment. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of tasks that are boring, right? Um, like like uh, washing eggs takes a really really long time not terribly stimulating work. Um, so, you know, it's definitely humbling and it's physical. Um, but it's also, it's awesome at the same time. I heard you say, uh, you like a quote to be interested in food, but not food production is absurd. And so I like that your book is about the production aspect. It's not just about the food, Right. Um, you're not just giving us recipes and saying, here's some gluten-free brownies to make. And, you know, yeah. people come calling, but it's more about like, uh, and I'll let you talk about it, but it's, it's like DIY in your home for sustainability, what you can do to raise your own livestock, um, homesteading. Is that what you call it? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, gardening, homesteading, farming, you know, I guess it all depends on the scale that, that you're looking to do it in. So, um, I guess my, um, my goal with the book was to just educate people on sustainable food production. So they could totally take the book and actually go raise chickens or grow vegetables or, um, you know, maybe for someone like you, it's just you want to learn about it and you want to like be more informed when you go to the farmer's market and you don't want to ask dumb questions like, is this chicken grass fed? Right. But people don't know that that chickens actually, you know, don't only eat grass. And Do you know, people so, ask you that. Oh, I've had a lot of really silly questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, like um, what other questions have you gotten? Well, let's see. I've had people. For pick your own, when we've opened up the pick your own fields and we say strawberries are ready, they go to the green cherry tomatoes and start picking green cherry tomatoes that are growing on vines instead of red strawberries. That Same are growing. thing. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Right. Right. Or, or, you know, at our other farm, when we did sell live, uh, not live, but whole chickens, 
people are holding it up like, what do I do with this? I don't, chicken, it like, do I put it in the oven? Like, what do I do? And so that's really sad that people only know like boneless, skinless chicken breast and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So the book then has kind of tiers of how serious you want to get. Like if you just want to grow a few herbs in your windowsill versus if you want to move to Boston, Massachusetts and get a sustainability degree, it's kind of, it's kind of levels of commitment on there. Yeah. I mean, with the animals, I kind of go through like the basics of what you'd want, like how many acres you'd need, that kind of thing. Um, there actually is uh, a section in the book where I show, okay, if you live in an urban setting and only have a quarter acre, this is what you can do versus like what you can do on one acre. Okay. Um, so it's definitely geared towards people who have just regular lives. They're not full-time farmers. Yeah. Um, and then I also have tips for people who, um, totally live an urban life and have no access at all to, um, farming. So there's rooftop gardens, there's container gardens. They can go volunteer on a farm like ours. We have a lot of work for shares. So they, um, they are people that, uh, you know, work in exchange for their food. Uh, and there's, um, there's community gardens. So I have a, a whole shoot, the photo shoot that we did in a community garden right in Cambridge. And, you know, that's awesome because, you know, there's these green spaces. They're beautiful. People do all kinds of really fun, creative things with it. You end up meeting people that you would never normally meet um, otherwise. And so it's a great like community building tool and um, you can get your own healthy food that way too. Let's talk about raising livestock. That sounds fun. Um, we haven't spoken about that on this show. Someone who lives in like an urban environment, like, okay, I'm in Seattle. I have a pretty big yard. Um, what kind of livestock, what do I need? Or I guess, what are the basics to set it up for the people at home who live in kind of an urban environment? What do you need? Uh, well, so, you know, chickens are an option. I mean, I know that there's like people in Brooklyn have chickens. Um, so chickens are definitely an option. Um, you know, there's some small coops that you can get, um, rabbits. I know that sounds crazy, but rabbits are actually a really good option for people who don't have a lot of space. Um, so you, you can, you eat the rabbit. Yeah. Okay. I've never had, I've never had rabbit. That's <laughs> well, it's a, it's a super paleo food. Um, yeah. I have some rest recipe in my cookbook for rabbit. Um, you know, it's, if you want to grow your own sustainable food, you know, actually small animals can be a really good thing. Um, we have some interns here, uh, from Peru. And whenever they come, they're always like amazed at these huge grocery stores because they don't really have grocery stores where, where they live. They're like up in the mountains in Cusco. And so when they want to eat, they got to go kill it. Like, and it's for that night. Cause they don't have tons of refrigeration. There's not a lot of, you know, energy there. So it's not like they can have a freezer full of grass fed beef that they ordered on Amazon and they can, you know, just thaw out whatever they want. Um, so like Guinea pigs for them are, a, a staple. And it's funny, whenever we ask them, like, what food are you dying for when you go back home, like at the end of their um, season here at the farm? And they're always like, oh, guinea pig, I can't wait. <laughs> so I think it's just a matter of, you know, like, it sounds gross to me, but um, I'm sure if I grew up in Peru eating guinea pig, you know, or sure. if you grew up eating rabbit, it would be no big deal. So um, anyway, so, so if people are looking to, um, you know, have some livestock on a very small space, um, chickens is probably the more culturally appropriate one, but definitely rabbits are an option. Okay. And, um, 
this is might be a dumb question, but how expensive are chickens and rabbits to get? And do you keep buying more or do they kind of produce on their own or yeah. What is that process? So like? rabbits are notoriously good at um, reproducing quickly. That's yeah. kind of like their thing. You right? might end up with a rabbit farm in a couple <laughs> months time. Yeah. Uh, so I have information in the book on how that all works. Um, as far as chickens, uh, we at our farm, um, pretty much cycle through chickens once a year. So we, we buy them in as we don't hatch them here. We buy them in as pullets, which is the term for like a teenage chicken. Um, and we have them through the growing season. And then we've actually found some markets for people that are interested in, um, processing their own chickens here on the farm. Um, so there's like some Guatemalans and some Africans that have found us. They like driving by, they pull over and they're like, oh my God, do you have goats and chickens? They're so psyched. Yeah. And so um, we allow them to, to come here and, um, you know, if we have an old uh, goat or, you know, they want animals that have, that have uh, served their purpose. Right. So it's pretty cool. Like they, they think that's real food, not like food that was only grown, you know, meat that's only been grown to just eat. Right. Um, so they love that these chickens have already laid a bunch of eggs anyway. So the chicken egg production goes down, um, the older the chicken gets. And so we try to keep them like one, maybe two years. And then, um, we buy in new ones. Now a home, uh, homesteader that has named their chickens and their kids like pet the chickens, you know, that's a different relationship you guys have with chickens that I can't really relate to honestly, but that's what some people do with their chickens. Um, um, and so it's probably not the kind of situation where you're going to go through, you know, a chicken a year. So chickens can live a long time. They're definitely their egg production goes down. Like 12 years, right? They can live up I there. Get, I mean, they I was, don't look, years here. They, you know, like they're in my soup pot before that. Sure. <laughs> well, my grandmother, uh, she lives on a farm and she's very much names her chickens. Oh, that's Buffy. That's Tuffy. And then one yeah. got an eagle, swooped down and got it. And her life was over because her chicken yeah. was going to die. But they've been kicking for, I want to say, f at least five to eight years, something yeah. like that. And I looked yeah. it up and some people said chickens can live 12 years. I might be totally wrong. But yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah, I think that's about right. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I was... um when I was doing my book tour last summer, I did, I started, I ugh, stayed in an Airbnb in Portland, in Northeast Portland, like right near, um, MLK where seasons, um, grocery store is. And there was totally goats in that neighborhood. There was like tiny houses and goats. And it was awesome because actually when I, when I lived in Portland, um, in the mid nineties, that was not like the best section of Portland at all. And now it's like totally so cool. Yeah. It's so, exploding. you know, goats are definitely an option too. I probably wouldn't have them if I had like an, uh, an urban backyard, but you they know, just hire, they're just higher maintenance probably cause they graze a lot. Yeah. They, and they're like crafty. So they'll totally get out. Wow. They're naughty. The goats are crazy. So, uh, so I looked it up, eight years average okay. life expectancy of chicken. But on okay. goats in Seattle, they did something cool. I don't know if they've done it in Massachusetts, but where they started um, hiring them out. Hiring them out, yeah. yeah. And they're lawnmowers in like city parks. And you just yeah. see all these goats fenced in, just chewing yeah. down. And in like a week, it's gone. They pack them up and they're gone. That's, uh, we actually just brought our goats back from another house that um, they, they totally paid us to have the goats there. Yeah, it's cheap labor. Yeah. yeah. 
I saw they're like awesome. Yeah, you know? that's great. That's great. Shark Tank. I saw a company. We made more money off the delivery fee than we would have off um, selling an entire goat. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so with chickens, then, like, if someone like myself, okay, yes. Diana, I'm ready. I want my chickens. Uh, I need a I need a coop. I need a chicken. I need everything. Like, it's a little a little <laughs> intimidating to get into it. What do I need? Uh, so yeah, you need a chicken. Definitely. I I'd recommend a couple chickens, a few, maybe four chickens, uh, small coop. Um, if you're able to have a coop like on wheels that you can move around your yard, that's a lot healthier for your yard and for the chickens. Um, cause you don't really want them just scratching on dirt like in one sedentary place all the time. Um, and not only is it healthier for the chickens in your yard, but you'll also attract less pests that way because, um, lots of things like to eat chickens. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just us. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs love chickens, raccoons, fisher cats. I don't know what kind of animals you got there, but it's coyotes. Um, and so, um, but then also you like rats and mice like to eat the chicken feed. So you have to be really careful about how you store it. So you want like a metal container with a good lid so that, um, you don't attract like pests, right? Um, they need water. So you have to figure out how you're going to keep the water not frozen in the winter time. If you live in a place that freezes, um, and, uh, that's, that's pretty good there. I mean, you need, okay. you need, we feed our chickens, um, some grain. There's other farmers that don't do any grain at all. We do a, a GMO, GMO free organic, no soy chicken feed. Okay. Um, and, and then we feed them supplements. Like we will go to the beach and collect a bunch of seaweed and the chickens love to eat seaweed. Um, they love kitchen scraps uh, they're not too into sweets. Like, like, uh, you know, if you try to give them something sweet that they're not as into that as they are into like broccoli, um, watermelon, stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And what is like an annual cost average for one city chicken? What do you think it would cost me to keep a chicken? Like if you in your best guesstimate, you know, it's more than what, your eggs are for sure. Yeah. You're not really going to save money at the scale that okay. you would be doing it at. It's more for your, you know, farm entertainment than, um, like than, uh, the cost of the eggs, like connecting with your food too. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I mean, if you have kids, it's really cool that, you know, they get to experience it. I have to say though, like, as I was mentioning earlier, chickens poop a lot. So if you're expecting the chickens to like run around your backyard, they're going to eat all your flowers and all your lettuce. Um, you know, so you want to keep them away from that stuff. And they're also like, you know, I know paleo is all about like barefoot, everything or whatever, but if you want nice space in your backyard to walk around barefoot, don't expect to also have chickens in that, um, area. Either or. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's either or. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice because yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes people like I listen to podcasts and I hear them talking about uh, a supplement or something. And then the next day, you know, it's ordered in my cart on Amazon. So I yeah. don't want people to walk away from this chicken conversation. Like I'm gonna get five chickens. Diana told me to Clark yeah. told me to. That sounds great. Yeah. And the other thing too is, um, you know, if you order them online and in the book, I, I walk you through like everything you're going to need and everything. Um, but if you, if you order baby chicks online, 
Um, it's likely that you're going to get some roosters in there. So then what are you going to do? Um, because you probably can't have roosters if you live in a densely populated area, there's probably zoning laws against roosters. Um, like noise too. For noise reasons, yeah. um, but also roosters can be really nasty. They can be mean, um, and not when they're younger, but as they turn older. And you you might not know you have a rooster until um, you know a few months down the road, huh. uh, because that's when they start growing the comb and turning into a rooster. Uh, and so you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. And, you know, we've had, unfortunately, lots of people just randomly drop off roosters at our farm thinking that that somehow... I want their rooster, which I definitely don't want their rooster. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, because we don't, as a production farm, we don't want to be introducing any potential diseases or anything from, from someone else's birds, you know, because chickens definitely can carry viruses and disease and stuff. So, um, so you need to figure out what your plan is and you have to be comfortable enough to decide that you're okay with, slaughtering one of your chickens if yeah. you need to. Um, so if that idea totally freaks you out and you don't have, you know, an awesome neighbor that can step in for you, then probably not a great idea to have chickens. Stick to the gardens, man, you know? Yeah. Or just volunteer on a farm. Yeah. You know, like let work under some other farmer, um, and have that be just part of your life experience and maybe have a nice clean backyard where you can walk around bare- barefoot. Okay, so to take it down a level then, you know, if chickens are pretty extreme, urban commitment, uh, let's talk about gardening or what you can do if you aren't on the chicken ready level. What does Diana recommend everyone can do in their home for gardening or herbs or however you want to take that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely think you need an outdoor space. Um, you, it's really hard to grow stuff indoors, um, unless you have some kind of solarium because most, uh, most vegetables and, and herbs and stuff want full sun. So you have to figure out where you're going to, um, uh, have your stuff, uh, growing. And it's probably not a good idea to put it like on the North side of your house. So, um, knowing what the South side is of your house, first of all, a lot of people don't even know which direction they're facing. Um, and then, uh, you know, look at how much sunlight you have. We, uh, in the book recommend that you prepare your garden area, um, beforehand. So don't just like run to home Depot, pick up a bunch of basil and tomatoes and think that you're just going to plunk them right in the ground. Like you need to do a little prep work first to prepare the soil. Um, you may even want to test the soil to see if there's heavy metals, Um, because you definitely don't want to be eating, um, you know, food that's been grown with a lot of lead in the ground, things like that. Healthier foods, the health of the soil. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, but containers are a really great option. Cherry tomatoes, um, do really well in containers. Herbs do well in containers. Um, so I have, sorry, what's a container, Diana? Is that, is uh, that different than a raised bed? Yes. Um, so a container is like a pot. Like oh, a whoa, pot that you would <laughs> that you would have like on your deck. Oh, right? okay, yeah. Like where you're sitting right now, I would have a container. Yeah, I think I got yeah, one. Yeah, like right. What is that? A cherry tomato? That's a uh, yeah, little cherry tomato guy. Yeah. Okay, so containers, um, cherry tomatoes, basil. Yeah, and, and then if you're gonna do a cherry tomato like that. 
it's they like to they like to have some structure. So you, you might want to get a tomato cage so you okay. can get that at your garden center for your tomato behind you there. Um, so yeah, a, it's a not cage. looking too hot. What's that? It's not looking too hot. I just want to say that. I was just trying to give you. It just doesn't look so good though. Is that a tomato? Oh. <laughs> 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 I don't know what that guy's doing over there. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure it gets some good sun and get a cage for it. Maybe get some fertilizer. Some uh, You can get some organic fertilizers, like some fish fertilizer. Um, maybe and, a new tomato uh, plant altogether. Yeah, maybe. Um, and I have information on my on my website, actually, specifically about tomato care that you can check out so people can go to my blog, cool. um, sustainabledish.com, and just check out the homesteading stuff I have on there. Okay. What yeah. about like, uh, herb gardens? Have you seen the, have you seen those, uh, I saw an infomercial once. It was like a light kit that grows and those yeah. grow up artificial light. What do you think about those? I don't like artificial stuff in general at all. Um, I think that things should be grown in dirt outside. So I'm like not a huge fan of hydroponic, uh, growing. Right. Um, I'm not a huge fan of these urban tower gardens. Um, I think that when you really look at the energy that goes into, you know, the building that these things are growing in the steel racks that they have to be on the fluorescent lights, the, pumped in CO2 that you need. Um, it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense um, environmentally when you can just grow stuff outdoors. Um, I think there's some uh, greenhouse situations where they're just extending the season a little bit. So not, I'm not talking about like growing tomatoes in Vermont. I'm talking about maybe growing some kale on Long Island or uh, New York. So um, things that you don't have to heat so much uh, with artificial heat, um, artificial lighting, that kind of stuff. It's just not, not that great. And I know people are really psyched about like lab meats, lab proteins, all that kind of stuff. I think that it's a huge problem and we're so disconnected from how food has grown that, you know, we think that all these like new engineered fake, fake things are better than what nature can provide. And if paleo has taught us anything, it's that like, we need to look at nature and then try our best to mimic natural systems. Joel Salatin was on and he was talking about how, uh, there's like 8 million acres of lawn in the United States. And yeah. that if everyone turned their lawn into a, f as productive as it could be garden we wouldn't need a single supermarket in the u.s yeah Ob obviously that's not realistic right and we do like supermarkets and conveniences and we like farmers to do it for us who know what they're doing and yeah. we can support them but it's it's a cool eye-opener i think one of the biggest points i learned from him i've just been thinking about recently is how he said that we don't have a production problem we have a distribution problem and that a lot of the times we just can't get the food to people and that half the food in the U S or just around the world goes uneaten. And so we, we can't get it into people's hands. Uh, it's, it, we have a, well, it, there also a lot of it goes to waste. So that, that's another, it's, it's not so much the distribution as much as the, there's a lot of food being wasted. Okay. Um, Joel Salatin is awesome. I am a huge supporter of him. He wrote the preface to the book we're talking about now. And, um, and actually I should do a little plug for an event, um, August 20th and 21st, 
where um, there's the food freedom fundraiser for the farm to consumer legal defense fund. And um, Saturday, the 20th is a big tour of polyface. So people can like walk through if you've never seen Joel Salatin speak in real life, it's so mind blowing. He's awesome. And, um, and then the, on the next day, Sunday morning, there's a bunch of us that are going to be, um, doing some talks and then offering one-on-one sessions as you know, people can sign up and pay for a one-on-one session. So it's going to be Dallas Hartwig, myself, Rob Wolf, um, Joel Salatin and, uh, Charles Mayfield. Um, there may be a few more too that, that we're trying to talk to. Um, but we'll all be there at the polyface gig too. And, um, it's not super expensive. People can, maybe I'll, I'll send you the link to it. Where is it? It's, um, down in Virginia. It's, it's a beautiful part of Virginia. It's about two and a half hours from Dulles airport. Um, kind of near Charlottesville. If you were to fly into Charlottesville, it's about a 45 minute drive from Charlottesville through like beautiful rolling. It's like how humans are supposed to live. It's like absolutely gorgeous. I've been there a few times now. Um, and I mean, his farm is how people should be farming and it's definitely how we based our farming. Um, he does a lot more animal production. We do a lot more vegetable production than he does. Um, but, uh, absolutely incredible stuff. And it really can ground you and connect you with how food is supposed to be grown. And he'll also talk about how um, productive his acreage is. So when people say, oh, you know, you need this many acres per cow and it's so inefficient, you know, he's growing so many cows on very little land because of the way he's raising them. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot of arguments against you know, meat production in general from very like just ignorant people that don't understand food production or grass fed that it takes too much space and right. all that. And, and what's really fascinating is he was talking about how, when animals move and get exercise and jump up and down from the coops or move around the farm, like they're supposed to, and they're not sitting in a feedlot that you get more density because the myoglobin in their muscles and it gets more nutrition and so that you can actually measure the density of like grass finished beef or grass fed beef against conventional feedlot beef and you get more nutrition out of it. And and then there's the the omega-3 thing too. So, um, you know, cow, where do you get omega-6s? It's from grains, but it's also from animals that have eaten grains. And so grass fed, um, pasture based, um, for example, um, eggs from pasture based chickens have, uh, you know, depending on the study, 13 to 20 times more omega-3s. So, um, just so much healthier. It's like when people say, well, I can't afford those eggs. It's like, you're not even comparing an egg to an egg. It's like not, you know, you might as well be looking at tofu versus an egg or something like that. Yeah. Um, and same thing with, um, grass fed meat. So it's just much higher in omega threes. That's a cool point. So the animals that eat grains, uh, they're highly inflamed and highly inflamed. Pass it on to you. Yeah. 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 You, you get all the bad stuff and, yeah. and counter to that. You get the good stuff. If you eat the right kind. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Talking about, you know, raising livestock, what we hit on, and then talking about, like, growing your own vegetables. Now let's talk about, like, finding vegetables. I know you have a chapter on foraging in there. Uh, what's your take on, on foraging? Well, my ta- I mean, I think that um, wild plants um, are incredibly nutrient-dense. And actually, there's a woman, um, I believe she's up in the Seattle area, Joe Robinson, and she wrote a book called... Um, 
uh, what's it called? She runs the she runs the blog eatwild.com. Uh-huh. And Eat I, Wild. Eatwild.com. Yeah. Uh, it connects you with food producers, so it's actually really, really great. Okay. Um, I'm looking eating on the wild side is the name of her book. And so she talks about how like cherry tomatoes, tiny little cherry tomatoes are much closer to, you know, what a, a tomato in the wild would have been like. And so, um, like the bigger, the tomato, the less nutrient dense it is. Um, so she, she sort of talks about the importance of eating things that are close to wild, which is, I mean, we know that from, you know, everyone's interest in grass fed meats. Um, so there are, there are weeds that are really, really healthy for you. Like purslane is, is probably the number one. It has more omega threes than any other plant there is, uh, that's per- edible. Purslane? Purslane. I've never heard yeah. of that. It grow. It's the most common weed there is. It really? grows everywhere in the, in the world. Um, I'm sure if you look at a picture of it, um, you, I don't know what page it would be on probably in towards the end of the homesteading section. Okay. Um, you have seen it before in the cracks of the sidewalk, um, growing everywhere. I probably wouldn't recommend eating the ones that you find between the cracks and the sidewalk because that's not like the most nutrient dense like situation for that purslane. But if you are able to go to an organic farm, that's an awesome place to find it because you can just talk to the farmer about, Hey, can I weed for you and take the purslane? And they're like, yeah, they would never say no to that. So you can eat it. Yeah. 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 Like Spanakopita, um, in Greece, that's usually made with purslane sog, um, in India is often made with purslane. Um, so it's kind of a, um, it's like a succulent type leaf. Yeah. It's like that spongy thing. I'm looking at it now and it's got kind of like a red outline and red vines. Yeah. Oh, okay. It grows absolutely everywhere. And it's really nutritious. It's so healthy for you. Wow. And how do you eat it? Do you cook it or raw? You can eat it raw. You can put it in a salad. I have recipes in the book, so people are going to just have to buy the book. Um, But then um, you can find recipes online. You can basically just use it how you would use any green. So in in place of spinach or kale or anything like that in a super stew. Oh, okay. Personally, I'm going to look into that. But so there's really great foraging um, opportunities, you know, to to go in your local area. Like when we lived in Portland, we actually went um, to the coast and did like a morning seaweed collection with some expert out there. Like I know there's options in a lot of places with um, local experts. So um, in the book, I talk about things that we have in New England, like um, birch tea, um, you know, from the, the birch trees, but, um, you know, if you don't have birch trees there, you can definitely find, um, maybe a mushroom forager or, uh, sorry, sorry. No, I'm, I'm not laughing at the mushroom. It's just like, uh, so quick story. One time in college, um, I was dating a woman and I had this surprise date for her and I was really excited. It was going to be super cool because we were going to forge mushrooms. Yeah. And I didn't tell her about it. And it was during finals week. So I'm like, hey, I got this surprise for us. It's it's really cool. I want to take you to do something special. Yeah. So in her mind, she's thinking, you know, we're going to go to the beach or we're going to go do something romantic. And then I take her to the Central Park and I'm like, okay. And she's what are we doing, Clark? Like, we're forging for mushrooms. Get this. And I show her a picture of the mushrooms we're forging for. And she walked away. She was not happy. And that was... uh, That was the end. That was the beginning of the end. That was the beginning of the end. (laughs) So mushrooms forging... you know what? If she's not cool with that, then she's not worth having around. That's right, Diana. She wasn't into the the mushroom forging. 
Well, I, you know, I would definitely go with some, with an expert if you're going to do mushrooms only because, um, there's a lot of false mushrooms that look a lot like the edible kind that can kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, maybe she was smart to walk away. I don't know. Maybe. I, you I, showed her a picture. You didn't like have like an expert with you. You just like, we're going to go look for this mushroom. Yeah. I was, uh, I was D- DIY Clark saw yeah. some chaga mushroom photos yeah. online and I don't even think that grows in Seattle. So that yeah. was about four years ago. I don't know. I might've walked away too, actually. <laughs> we had a uh, Taro Isocopola. He does four sigmatic uh, mushroom teas and all that. Uh-huh. I can't remember if it's the one that grows on the logs or the ones that grow in the ground. One of those um, is edible always and the other you have to be really careful for yeah so i this helps a lot because one of them might kill you but the other one you you can eat as much as you want um so so i wouldn't start with mushrooms you start with purslane okay start with purslane or lamb's quarters is another one that's really common on organic farms it grows in between the plants we've got tons of it my husband's going to be really mad at me for mentioning that but we have lots of it on the farm uh, he hates seeing weeds, so it really kills him when, it, when they like it. make it into my Instagram shot. I'll be like, oh, look at this beautiful, like I took this really cool picture of some asparagus um, about a month ago. And I was like, isn't this beautiful? Look how the light comes in. And he's like, it's just pointing at the weed, you know, and it's like something I don't even notice, but it just makes him so mad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard that weeds help plants grow. They have a symbiotic relationship or something like that. Is there conflicting research on that? I don't know. I mean, there, there's all kinds of stuff out there. We definitely don't enjoy having weeds on our farm. We see a lot of really weedy organic farms. Um, yeah. You know, they also compete for nutrients with the plants. So I guess that's our opinion on weeds. Um, we definitely try to keep them at bay with mulching in between. So we'll put down like straw in between, like the strawberries to try to, you know, inhibit weed growth. Um, when they're really, really, when the weeds are really, really tiny, we try to get rid of them um, soon before they get really big. Once they've gone to seed, you're in trouble um, because then the weed, then the seeds are getting into the soil and then you're just going to have a big, big problem with weeds. So well, I guess we're kind of anti-weed. Okay. Okay. A couple more closing questions, Anna. This yeah. flew by. This is a really fun podcast. Um, <laughs> I loved it. So, Biggest lesson you've learned in 2016 so far? In 2016? Yeah, or this year. doesn't have to be exactly 2016. Mm. Um, wow. Stump, yeah? Yeah, totally. You should have sent that one to me ahead of time. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just finished this RD program. So, um, it was really rough towards the end. I, I blogged about it a lot. Um, I was surrounded by a lot of death, uh, which was really intense for me. Um, cause I was working in some pretty bad hospitals where I, you know, I didn't have, um, many tools to give them, you know, like a can of Ensure. Um, and so I felt really stifled and helpless. Um, and, uh, I'm really happy to be out on the other side, to be done with the RD program and to be able to prevent that kind of thing from happening in the future. So, um, but one thing I did learn was that, um, the patients in the hospitals who got the best care are the ones that had family members grilling the doctors like on a daily basis. So, um, 
So I know that's probably like a weird thing to say, but if you know someone who's in a hospital situation, um, nursing home or, you know, in rehab or whatever, um, you need to be there all the time and you need to be like asking for the tests and asking what the blood values are and go get a book and look it up or yeah. ask someone with you that knows about medical care because those are the people who get the best care. And it's really unfortunate, but that's true. That's a good tip. That's a yeah. really good lesson. Yeah. Um, what are maybe one or two things people at home right now can walk away and do to be healthier or happier or take control of their health? Okay. Um, so I just wrote, I was just mentioning to you before the show, but I, there's two um, blog posts that I've just recently put out and I think they would be really good examples of what to do. So the first one um, I put out last Sunday and it's um, all about the myth of the paleo panacea. So the idea that paleo cures everything and makes you immortal and all you have to do is just, you know, you know, maybe it's a little more than the, just the food. You have to get some good sleep and some exercise and maybe, you know, a little downtime from screens and you're good. And, you know, that's a myth. That's, it's just, you know, people have actual legit diseases. Um, it all started from um, a patient that came into my room who was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. And she was super nervous to tell me that, you know, she was meeting with a psychiatrist and maybe about to go on some meds. And, you know, my response to her was like, hey, life is short. Um, there are situations when meds can really help. And so it's okay. Like you're not failing if you need to pull in some modern medicine. So, I mean, the reason why I don't know anyone who is, and you probably don't know anyone who's died of smallpox or polio is because of vaccines. Um, so I think that there definitely is a cause for healthy debate about these topics and maybe, you know, certain vaccines should be held off or maybe not done. But um, there's also a lot of benefit that modern medicine has brought us and we can't just completely discount all of it. Um, so that's the first thing. If you're, if you're sick or depressed or whatever, and there's medicine that can help you definitely lifestyle changes too, but you know, look into that. Antibiotics, uh, your foot, your foot's going to fall off. Don't just right. take garlic. I mean, you know, you can't eat extra kale to fix that. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the second thing is this myth of moderation. So I just wrote a post for robwolf.com about a study that just came out. And um, it's basically that people in general cannot moderate. They don't know how to do it. Um, and actually the more they like a food, the higher their love, their perception is of what is a moderate intake of it. So the more they like pizza, the more pizza they think is a moderate amount to eat. Um, and so, or you the know, more, the more you like alcohol, the more, the harder exactly. it is to moderate. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and actually, you know, on, his personal Facebook page on uh, robwolf.com Facebook page. And then on robwolf.com, I have been um, reading these crazy comments from people saying like, that's crazy. You know, what about all this other stuff? So, you know, people are food addicted. They have very poor um, ability to manage their own intake. Um, and that's um, partly because, psychologically, we just tend to favor ourselves. And also because the food out there is hyper palatable. Um, and so it's really not their fault that they can't eat just one Pringles that as the Pringles have been designed to 
you know, by food engineers who are paid a lot of money to make sure that you can't stop and that you're eating all of the, the entire can. Um, so that's where also I have a little bit of an issue with the paleo treats, um, only because, I, you know, it's fine. Like I'll totally eat some ice cream once in a while or, you know, paleo treat if someone brings it to me. But I don't consider those really part of like if someone's doing 80-20, that's not an 80. It's not paleo to eat. Even if it's paleo brownie, it's still a brownie. And, you know, that that's not really if, if, if paleo, if the goal of paleo is to like optimize your health, um, then, um, you know, f- foods within that category need to be health giving. And um, there's just way too many hyperpalatable foods out there. And you can easily make paleo foods hyperpalatable as well. It's by, you know, manipulating the ingredients, grinding up, making nut flour cakes and things like that. So again, it's not that I'm against sugary foods in general, but I think that people have a really hard time moderating. And as a dietitian, I have to say that um, I can't, I can't ethically tell somebody that a little bit of candy or a little bit of soda or whatever is okay when I know that they're having a hard time moderating. So most people need to be abstainers. And um, I think especially for their first 30 days on paleo, no paleo treats. Like you are, you need to eat super boring food and you need to just reset yourself. And then if you go, you know, if, if you sort of readdress your relationship with food and you find that you can have some treats once in a while, um, but there's certain things you don't have an off switch for, then maybe those foods that you don't have an off switch for need to not make it into your house or, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, the, the, you know, the study just came out and again, people are, people are, um, really, it's really hard for them to, uh, hear that information. And they're not looking like what you said about alcohol. They're not really realizing that food is addictive, um, you know, just like alcohol or gambling. And so, you know, we can tell, you know, even though an alcoholic will say, I'm trying to cut down before they actually quit drinking, it's the same with food addicts. Uh, so, you know, when I went to an overeaters anonymous meeting, um, a couple months ago, just to like, see what it was like, see what they talk about. The only successful people that got up and talked about, um, what made them successful was abstinence from wheat and sugar. So, uh, cause those were their trigger foods. And so, um, anyway, the, the, the whole, everything in moderation, which is taught to registered dietitians as the advice to give people. And that like orthorexia is evil. Um, it just fails. So sustainable dish, Diana Rogers. Thanks for coming on the show. This was really fun. Uh, sustainable dish.com is where people can find you and learn more. Yep. And you have a podcast as well, correct? I have a podcast called Sustainable Dish. Okay. And then what's the best episode for people to start on? Oh, that's a good question too. God, you're really... Yeah. Like your, your hit single. <laughs> Do you have a hit single? Um, I think that if people are interested in um, the sustainability thing and wondering about like cows and beef production, they should listen to the episode I did when the show was called Modern Farm Girls. So it used to be called Modern Farm Girls. I used to run it with Liz Wolf. Liz got busy with her baby. I wanted to interview more than farm girls. And so I changed the title to Sustainable Dish. But um, still on my on my blog, on my archives, I have the um, episode I did with Nicolette Nyman, who is a rancher. And she's actually happens to be a vegetarian. 
Um, but she takes, she used to be a lawyer and she takes you through all the reasons why beef is good for the environment and good for health. Um, so I think that that's really useful, um, ammunition that paleo folks can have. Really fun. Diana, thanks so much for coming on. This is a fun call. Learned a lot. Take care of that tomato plant. Don't go foraging for mushrooms. That's right. (laughs) Eat weeds in the sidewalk. And eat weeds. There we go. We got it. Problem solved. All right. Till next time, Diana. Okay. Thanks. Diana Rogers, everyone. That was a energetic show. Um, Blast talking to Diana. Loved the part about the weeds. That blew me away. Um, I already forget the name of that plant, but I'm going to look it up and um, how it has a lot of I'm really, I'm really trying to get into forging. So, um, got to look into getting someone on the call to talk more about that. That's a fascinating topic for sure. If you want more on sustainability and farming, we spoke about briefly, Diana and I, uh, Joel Salton, he was on the show, uh, not too long ago, probably about six months ago, four months ago, even definitely before January. That was a phenomenal episode. Might be one of my favorites, if not my favorite episode we've ever done in over a hundred shows on Paleo Hacks. Joel is just the real deal. Even if you have zero interest in farming, that is like a must listen to episode. Um, head over there to paleohacks.com and just type Joel Salatin. That's S A L. A-T-I-N. Ooh, I might get that one wrong. Um, Or just type Joel in the search bar and it should pop up. It's the one with the farmer in the hat. Um, He's also on the best of Paler Hacks episode if you want to listen to that. 11 Questions Change Your Life is a free ebook I put out um, for you guys and everyone about the 11 best questions we can ask ourselves uh, if we want to improve our life, take things to the next level, or just get more clarity with where we're at. Maybe we're totally content with where we're at. We can still benefit from asking ourselves the right questions. 100% free. It's over on my site, clarkdanger.com. And just put in your email, it'll get sent right to you because that's the power of this digital world. Uh, That's it. Next week, we got Lier Keith coming on talking about the vegetarian myth um, get into maybe some of the downsides of vegetarianism, veganism, why eating meat doesn't mean hating animals. How can you be a meat eater with the ethical and moral values of a vegan or a vegetarian? Really fascinating going into Lier's story about how 20 years as a vegan, um, left her with a lot of health conditions and, um, a lot of things built up. So that was a fascinating show. Really enjoyed talking to her. She's a sweetheart. Um, can't say enough great things about Lier. Been flipping through her book. It's phenomenal. So if you want to pre-read, that's the vegetarian myth. Bonus points. And then the following week, we got Kayla T. Daniel coming on with the whole soy story. Why eating soy is not the best idea. We get into the history of soy, how it got so mainstream. Does Asia really consume as much soy as the West thinks it does? Is soy a superfood or a supervillain? Get into all that in two weeks. All right, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys, and I will see you back here next Thursday.